0: Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and NTL Ministries. This sermon series is called Uncovering Religion. We live in a day where the world is saturated with contradictory faiths and beliefs. Can they all be right? Are they all wrong? As Christians, it is imperative that we understand something of what these religions teach and believe so that we can accurately discern right from wrong. Today I'm, I'm going to be preaching on Hinduism, what the religion is. I've got quite a, a little bit more notes than I had for the one on Islam, mainly because it's such a complicated religion. So I'm going to try to stick to my notes pretty closely so I don't digress too far and not finish the sermon. So I'm just going to start with a, a reading of Matthew 28:19. Don't bother opening up there. I'll just quickly go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So he declared that we should baptize people in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. In saying that, he was talking about the Trinity, wasn't he? So Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 19, to baptize people in the name of the Trinity. In commanding this, Jesus gave us a clear picture of a Trinitarian God in whom we believe, who is three but one. It's a hard concept, and because it's so difficult to (coughs) contemplate and understand and comprehend, a lot of people just reject it. Most religions of the world totally reject the Trinity. In the Gospels, Christ made it clear that there is only one God, but that God is represented by three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And from Scripture, we can ascertain that each of these three persons is distinct from the other two. They're not the same, but they're one. They're one in spirit. The Father is not the same person as the Son, who is not the same person as the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Trinity is one of the most essential doctrines of the true Christian faith. And that's what I believe is what basically sums up what the true Christian faith is, is we believe in the Trinity as God is being one, but three. And you'll find most false religions don't believe that. We must have a firm grip on this doctrine of the Trinity if we are to counter groups such as Mormons and Hindus and Unitarians and Jehovah Witnesses. If we, have to, if we want to try to discern the differences, we have to have a grip on the Trinity. So in relation to that, there's a great sermon by Joe Schimmel that you can listen to, and Matthew was telling me about it and I had a look at it. It's called The Trinity of God, and it was given on the 20th of the 9th this year, 2010. And you can find that at www.blessedhopechapel.org. Um, so go there and have a listen to that sermon. I love Joe Schimmel's stuff. Any Anything Joe Schimmel is top quality information to listen to. He's cutting edge. Anyway, about uncovering the religion series, this is what I just want to keep on coming back to this and what this series is all about, what its intentions are. Uh, Pastor Mehdi Dabaj of Iran in 1994 went on trial for his life in court after converting from the Muslim faith, so he went, came from Muslim to Christianity, he declared that men choose a religion. Because you've got an array of religions that's like a lolly shop. You go in there, oh, should I be a Hindu? Oh, no, I might be a Buddhist. No, I might, not, I might be a Muslim. You've got all these selections. But a Christian is chosen by Jesus Christ. We have no choice. He chooses us. The Bible says that Jesus said you did not choose me but I chose you. And that's in John fifteen sixteen. So he picks us out, hand picks us. Yep, you, 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 you. all of you. I think that this statement sums up the difference between religions and ch- true Christianity. That's really what sets us apart. And you think about it. To be a true Christian in many ways is a despised and rejected thing. You are treated badly. You try to be a Christian in some of these other countries and you'll know all about it you'll stand out like a sore thumb. And in a lot of those countries, it's a death wish. If you if you say you're a Christian, you actually put a, a death curse on yourself. Rob, out of all the... Any other, besides Christianity, any other religions that happens to at all? Happens what? Does that happen to any other religion besides the Christian? It's mainly the Christian faith, but you do get Islam and Hindus, mm. they fight and yeah, war against everyone, yeah. and, and you do get that over there. But on a worldwide scale... Christianity is despised worldwide in a way Judaism and-, and Christianity are lumped yeah. together yeah, yeah. yeah. the Jews have always been persecuted yeah. throughout all biblical history they were persecuted people and uh, even to the present day as we know the anti- with the anti-Semite movements around the world yeah. and a lot of people Joe Schimmel does a great sermon on it called why anti-Semitism <coughs> fantastic mm. Sermon, you just think, yeah, why anti-Semitism? Most people don't even know why they hate the Jews. They just do because they were taught to. No reason. They just hate them. Mm. Anyway, so in studying these religions, it's going to help us in many ways. It's going to help us to uh, accurately discern truth from lies. So you're going to be able to discern real quick when someone's telling you the truth according to the scriptural truth or someone's trying to lure you into a false path. It'll also give you a deeper appreciation for the solidness and soundness of our faith in the living Christ in comparison to the flimsiness and the harshness of these other religions in the world today. And it'll also help you when you witness to people, you know, because you will get confronted from time to time, and hopefully more often than not, that you'll be confronted with the opportunities to speak to people about Jesus. And knowing something about what they believe can really help you in these areas. So... I'm just going to quickly go through Hinduism. Hinduism is the third largest religion in the world. In here it says fourth because it's got agnostics and atheists and stuff, which I believe is a religion in itself anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the third, known as the third largest religion in the world with some 1.1 billion followers. With Christianity as the largest at 2.1 billion and Islam at 1.5 billion. Now, these are all rough estimates, I'm assuming. They probably come to these conclusions through doing censuses around the world. Most Hindus live in India, which is the home of it, and uh, there's some 800 million in India alone who believe in Hinduism. There are also significant numbers of Hindus in Malaysia, Nepal, Sri Lanka, um, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and the USA of all places. Hindus account for an approximated 13.26% of the total world population, which is 6.6% 7.7 7 billion. And Hinduism is growing at 1.52% annually. That's a pretty quick growth rate. It's getting larger. So the historical dilemma, though, is this. Hindus present quite a dilemma for a Christian. Hinduism does not trace itself to a single founder or starting position point in history. Uh, many Hindus believe that Hinduism began in 2500 B.C., uh, in the Indies Valley, Indus Valley, where a tribe of Aryans of European descent had supplanted a civilization that had grown up in the Indus Valley, and they brought with them their language of Sanskrit. Many scholars challenge this, however, due to the recent archaeological finds tracing them back even further than 2500 BC. So it's quite an old religion. Hinduism has intentionally vague doctrines, vast number of sects meaning separate groups and systems and over 330 million gods. And it makes it a very difficult to present Hinduism in an organized fashion because they're very unorganized religion in the sense of the amount of strands that you have of it. The term Hinduism is an ancient Sanskrit word which means to run or flow like a river. Uh, a Hindu will often ref- refer to his faith as Sanatana Dharma or eternal religion. They say Hinduism is a perennial faith, perennial meaning lasting or existing for a long or apparently infinite time. So they're trying to say that it's an eternal faith. Hindus try to maintain a complex polytheism, which is the worship of many gods, as well as an earth worship of nature. So they're worshipping there and they worship down here too. Somewhere in the middle, the two religious viewpoints collide and Hinduism is born right in the middle. There's this, they're worshipping gods of the universe, 330 million of them, and they're down here worshipping trees and animals. And Hinduism is such a diverse system of thought with beliefs spanning, have a listen to this, monotheism, which is they believe in one god, polytheism, many gods, panantheism is that God is greater than the universe and includes and interpenetrates it. In. Pantheism, which is God is all creation. Everything that is, is God. Uh, mon- monism, all reality is one. Atheism, God does not exist. They even have atheistic views too. Agnosticism, that is nothing can be known about the existence or the nature of God or anything beyond the material phenomenon. An agnostic will claim neither faith nor belief or, nor disbelief in God. And Gnosticism taught that the world was created and ruled by a lesser divinity. To believe in 330 million gods, you have to believe in gods that have imperfection. You know, so each god has a certain character trait which makes them a god, but none of them are perfect. Their gods are, are uh, gods that are fallible. And they also have many other views in relation to that. You might ask, how do they believe in one god yet 330 million gods? Is They believe in a god <clears throat> essence, that runs through all of these gods. And we all are, can become one with the gods. So we can become God. The belief systems of Hinduism is this. Hinduism is a philosophical belief system first and foremost. So it's really a philosophy of life, first and foremost. The sacred texts accepted by most Hindus, the goals and motivations of Hindu priests are very temporal. And temporal meaning... Related to the world as opposed to spiritual affairs. So they're very earthly based. Hinduism aims at preparing disciples for this life predominantly. So, in some ways, it has probably good life principles. And, you know, as most religions do, there is always some good in them. It's mixed in there. But When it's not a truth as a total truth, it should be rejected because Jesus had the best moral code, best life principles that you can ever receive out of any religious system. A concrete uh, eternal destination such as heaven does not exist in Hinduism. Uh, Hinduism refers to itself as Dharma, a way of life and an ethic, a mindset and a philosophy. Hindu gods are more like forces of nature and a Hindu picks the deities that most deeply impact their personal lives. So out of those 330 million gods, you get the ones that sort of suit you. You pick your ones. This is an issue because Hindus will worship and believe differently depending on their god and their needs. So their thoughts clash between all the Hindus. Their thoughts clash over rituals, demigods, the way they dress, the way they worship, who they are in allegiance with, their diets, their practices, they clash amongst themselves, sometimes quite harshly too. However, their core beliefs do not clash. And this is their core belief. Hinduism teaches that there are four goals in life. And these four are called, this is a hard one, purusharthas. There's four goals in life. One is pleasure. Kama means pleasure. The second is Artha, which is wealth. The third is Dharma or harmony. The fourth is moksha, which is liberation. They're all trying to achieve moksha. And when they're liberated, they become one with the God essence. So these four are constantly at war with one another. Because if you're trying to achieve pleasure in life, how are you going to achieve liberation in the spiritual sense? So they, they clash. And they know that. So this, the search for wealth and pleasure consumes individuals. So if they just are searching for the two lower ones, which are uh, Karma and Arthur... <laughs> So they're trying to wealth and pleasure bring about evil and suffering. That's what they believe. So I don't know why it's a goal in Hinduism, when it actually, if they believe, it brings about evil and suffering. Whereas dharma and moksha, which is harmony and liberation, fulfil the individual, makes them feel whole. A lot of uh, Hindu gurus will basically become just nomads, just wandering, trying to achieve dharma and moksha, and they'll usually do it do that in the later part of their life. They'll own no material possessions and they'll just just wander from place to place, teaching, trying to prove to the gods that they are good, that they don't have any desires for wealth or pleasure. So to receive salvation through Hinduism, one must abandon the first two goals. They must stop seeking pleasure and stop seeking uh, wealth. So they must work out their salvation so they won't go back through the cycles of reincarnation. And they do this by fasting, meditation, good works, mortification of the body, doing penance and going through rituals, things like that. But basically they try to do good things constantly before men and before the eyes of their gods. The most distinctive aspect of Hinduism is the caste system. The caste system of Hinduism influences all aspects of an individual's life. So because of the caste system, Hindu society is hierarchical, which means the Hindu society is arranged in a formally ranked order, which means this. The basis of the system is the doctrine of karma, which literally means action, but it carries a sense of reward or punishment for those actions. The results of karma in reincarnation May last several lifetimes. We all know what reincarnation is, that you've had many lives before and you're just born on, you die and then you become a person again and then you have to live another life and then you die and you have to or born again. Or, uh, yeah, well, if you're bad, you become something <clears throat> lesser and if you're good, you become something higher. So karma Re- may last several lifetimes and it affects both spiritual status and social status. Bad actions leads to a soul being reborn in lower levels of society or even as an animal. The caste system consists of four varnas, or social groupings. This is the caste system. Brahmins, made up of the priestly and scholarly class. So you've got the elite, they call Brahmins. The Kshatriyas, I don't know if that's how you say it, are the warriors and the rulers of society, regarded as noble class, the nobles. The Vaishyas are engaged in commercial ventures and business activities. And then you have the Shudras, are those whose function is it is to serve the other three groups. So they should have been good in the last life. They should rest. It is believed that because of karma, you are reincarnated into these different classes. The problem with this kind of system is if you are born blind or deformed, the community will consider it a just retribution for the sins of your past lives. So they'll look at you as if, yeah, well, you're getting what you deserve because you were bad. Therefore, I don't show any mm. mercy. And they, they, they don't set up very good systems of health care for, mm. for these sort of people. They have to struggle through life. I'm sure you can all see the, the problems associated. Imagine if our society was like that. It, it yeah, was well, like, you know, in that Megiddo DVD, game, yep. um, when Hitler was a huge fan of evolution mm. and because he believed everyone was just a... Sort of an animal, you know. It didn't matter if you killed. Yeah, that's people. right. Yeah, there was no like in his heart. He didn't think oh, well, they're actually people, you know. Yeah, We're yeah. All just, you know that's <coughs> right. We're all just animals. That's the problem with holding to evolution. <clears throat> is only the fittest survive, yeah. and the elite survive at the expense of and the just the rest. Just based on, like you said, a deformity or something like that, because that's what he did as well. Yeah, you if know. you're deformed, you're not fit to have a child. Mm. Mm. And if you're a Jew, they were the lowest, the scum of society in in Hitler's eyes. So he just wiped them out. He didn't see them as humans, which is so wrong. And that all came through the teaching of Darwinism. Mm -hmm. Hindu teachers, Hindu myths referred to seven wise men known as rishis. These men passed on the wisdom of gods to humankind. They were transformed into the constellation Ursa Major. That's where they are now. They're a constellation. The earthly successors to the rishis are thought to be Hindu priests of the Brahman caste. And remember, the Brahman caste was the highest caste in Hindu society. There is also the guru who teaches about faith and enlightenment. He's the wise man. And the Swami is considered a holy man. So these people are sought for their wisdom and the direction. The sacred writings, there are four Vedas, Samhitas, which are the sacred writings, the main sacred writings of Hinduism. And they are the Rig Veda, the Sama Veda, the Yaja Veda, and the Atharva Veda. The Vedas are the primary texts of Hinduism and consist of hymns to gods. They explain nature and deities behind the natural forces, as well as mantras, which are sacred sentences to be chanted. The Vedas have also had a vast influence on Buddhism and Jainism and Sikhism, which are three other worldwide religions. The Upanishads are the continuation of the Vedic philosophy. That's another type of book that they, or sacred writing that they adhere to. They were written about 800 to 400 BC. The Upanishads elaborate on how the soul, which is called the Atman, can be united with the ultimate truth, which is the Brahman, through contemplation and meditation, as well as the doctrine of karma. So it teaches on the doctrines of karma as well, so you know if you're doing good because the Upanishads will reveal good from bad and all that sort of stuff. The Puranas, which are the post-Vedic texts, typically contain a complete narrative of the history of the universe from creation to destruction, (coughs) genealogies of the kings, the heroes and the demigods and the descriptions of Hindu cosmology and geography. So it's a pretty full-on sacred writing. There are also collections of writings called epics, which are poems and they make plays from, as well as the Bhagavad Gita and the Vedantes, and there's also many other writings. I've got this, found this webpage which had them all there. It's like huge amount of writings. Not as much as Christianity, but there's a lot. Yeah. Much of the Hindu writings <laughs> is claimed to come direct from God, godly inspired. Now, we've all heard of the term avatar, haven't we, since the movie Avatar? That's a Hindu movie. It, it pretty well follows the Hindu religion uh, very concisely and glorifies it, make it look like a wonderful way to live. Uh, The only problem is that it's a lie, total lie. There's no trees that you can connect to your hair and listen to the people that have died in the past. Um, An avatar, in the Hindu uh, concept of the word, an avatar is a reincarnation or a manifestation of a god. Hindu doctrine stipulates that these avatars are divine visitations of gods on the earth and come to lead people to the true path again. That's what avatars do. They come down and they lead us to the truth. And so, of course, some Hindus will say Jesus was an avatar and Buddha was an avatar. Traditionally, Hinduism teaches that there are ten avatars that spring from Vishnu. Vishnu, about half of the Hindu population of the world follow Vishnu, the god of space and time, and these people are called, or Hindus are called, Vaishnavites. In the Vedas, Vishnu was originally the god of the sky. That's an interesting because in the Bible it says that Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, in Ephesians 2.2. 2. And he says that spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And Hindus claim that Vishnu is the god of the sky, god of the air. The ten avatars of Vishnu, which are called the Dasavatare's, Need to be great Greek to say that just about. Include animal forms as well as human forms. So Vishnu at, at his first phase of as an avatar was a was a fish called Matsya. Then he became a tortoise called Kerma. Varara was a boar. Narasimha was the man lion. Then came Vamana, the dwarf, so he's little. Then there's Parasharama who is the Rama with the axe, the first warrior saint. And seven, there's Rama, who's the ideal man, the perfect man. Every woman wants to marry a Rama. <laughs> then there's Krishna. All heard of Krishna. Yes, yes. yes. he's considered the greatest human incant- incantation, or incarnation Sorry, of Vishnu. And then there was Buddha, even though Buddha's not counted in some, but others do count him. Buddha was the enlightened one the prince who founded Buddhism. And then there's Kalki, who is expected to appear at the end of the Kali Yuga, the time period in which we currently live in. So in Hindu time, we are in the Kali Yuga. And this avatar, who was called Kalki, will appear seated on a white horse with a drawn sword blazing like a comet. He shall come finally to destroy the wicked, to restart the new creation, and to restore the purity of conduct in people's lives. That's what they believe. Some versions of the Dasavatara, which is the ten avatars, include Hamza, the swan, and does not include Buddha. So that's the other ten. Brahman is the creator god. It's funny because I watched a uh, Hindu last night. I sent him. To you, a uh, link to you to watch on YouTube. And this man who was a Hindu and he became Christian at the age of 18, and he lived in the highest caste of society in the Hindu faith, and he still, as a Christian, calls God Brahman, even though he's a total Christian, because Brahman mm-hmm. represents the creator God, who is the God above all gods, even in Hindu religion. But doesn't mean that they're believers of the God that we believe in. They just have him as another god set apart. But he comes the realisation after reading the Bible that Brahman was the only god and all the rest of them are not god at all. And they mm. shove this brahman created god, which is the god of the Jews, into their 330 million other gods. But he's he still held in high regard amongst the Hindus, just like Vishnu. So the Mundaka Upanishad says through Om... You know how they say Om when they meditate? That the supreme, supreme Brahman is infinite and this conditioned Brahman is infinite. The infinite proceeds from infinite. This is the Hindu gets a bit confusing here. The infinite proceeds from infinite, then through knowledge, realizing the infinitude of the infinite, it remains as infinite alone. It's actually written in the Upanishads. They consider the God Brahman as an it. It is said that Brahman cannot be known by material means, that we cannot be made conscious of it, because Brahman is our very consciousness and being. So now they're claiming that they are Brahman, that they are God, the creator. So that's that's a bit confusing. They've, it's not the same God, but this one guy that I was telling you about, he realized that Brahman is the God, the God and creator of the universe. And then he realized he's not an it, he's a him, and he's personal when you can get to know him. Hmm. So yoga in whatever way a hindu defines the goal of life there are several methods um, yogas that sages have taught for reaching the goals of getting through the four goals of life you know getting past pleasure and and uh, wealth and getting on to liberation moksha so paths that we can follow to achieve the spiritual goal of life or moksha and some call it nirvana include bhakti yoga which is the path of love and devotion, karma yoga, the path of right action, raja yoga, the path of meditation, and jnana yoga, the path of wisdom. So there's four yoga styles. Now we also have cow worship. (laughs) No teaching on Hinduism is, is complete unless we talk about cow worship. Cows are seen as sacred and are worshipped in India, Cows are seen as the incarnation of the goddess Devi, or Devi. Pilgrimages are not mandatory for the Hindu, and but they can undertake them. Where, where do they go? There are numerous sites that are considered sacred, including rivers, mountains, and whole cities such as Alabad. And also the waters of the River Ganges are regarded as a, a holy river, River Ganges. Now, in America we have the Hari Krishna Movement, which is a Hindu movement. It's also called the International Society for Christian Consciousness, or ISKCON. And it's founded by A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Man, I've got to learn how to pronounce these names. Or just Frank, for short, yeah. 1896 to 1977 was his the period of his life, and he founded it in New York in 1966. The group's... Uh, worship Vishnu, whose incarnation is said to be Krishna. Its most important text is the Bhagavad Gita. Most Indians view the Hare Krishna movement with amusement and as an American phenomenon, but this group cannot be divorced from its Hindu roots in India. So that's what they're doing over there. The Hare Krishna movement is quite large in America. Uh, So when you talk to someone who's a Hindu, it's important to engage the person Rather than the religion. Because the religion is, you're going to get lost when you start talking about religion with them because they all believe differently and it's very hard to uh, hone their faith. But they do believe in gods. So you move, basically move slowly. Hindus have a negative perception of Christianity because of their history and past treatment. Um, They were treated very badly by uh, hundreds of years ago. History in India, it never leaves, they never forget. They, they will talk about something that happened 500 years ago as if it happened yesterday. It, it's just talked about and continued and they, they brew on it. So there's a very negative uh, thoughts in relation to Christianity. or Not so much against Christ, but the Christian themselves. Show respect for their belief without compromise. Do not show disrespect to them about Hindu, their Hindu faith. Don't assume because you are not identical, though, to their culture that you can't reach a Hindu because they will listen to your perception of truth and they will consider it. So always listen to their felt problems. If they start talking about things that are happening in their life, listen to them. Be very open to that. Young Hindus or young Indians are most open to Christ. Focus on the person of Christ and personal relationship with Christ. If you talk to them about Jesus, talk to them about your personal relationship you have with your God who is Jesus, the active relationship you're having. Loving relationships with the Hindu uh, that do not recognize the boundaries of caste because a lot of them, if they're in the lower caste, they have a very low self-esteem that goes with it. So if you are receiving them like a king, that really has an impact on them because they're not received as kings in, in these countries. So treat them like gold. And you, you know, not fake, but real, genuine love, acceptance. Allow for the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Never talk to them unless you really prayed up and make sure the Holy Spirit is working through you. If they come to Christ, do not overdo the amount of info you give them either. Just slowly feed them information over time. Yeah, but just move slowly. And Bill knows exactly what I'm talking about. He, he talks to Muslims and... Have you ever talked to Hindus in your shop? I reckon I have yeah but he just takes it slow a little bit of information here and there and over time they keep coming back they keep wanting to talk more to him so you know he keeps witnessing so that's it that's my um sermon on hinduism it was a hard one to put together because there's so much to sort of like and it was going in i was cross-checking everything with about 5 6 sources to find out okay is this what it means and is that true what that's saying and so yeah uh, well, I, I, think I think I've got it together. I didn't see any real focus there, the no, real foundation. It's it? Uh, it's just scattered. And yeah, yeah. Like you said, uh, they've got the broad doctrines. Right? It's like very like, broad. And because you can pick the gods that you mm. relate to, Absolutely. it makes it that you end up worshipping differently between... I wonder if they've always had Theranos. I don't know. If they Adam. extra every week. Yeah, know, like, yeah. Swami dies, he becomes one, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's no authority, you know. It's a it's an extremely complex thing. You can buy, you know, thick, chunky books on it. Mm. Um, Yeah, it it leaves them hopeless a lot of the time and guilt ridden. And if they aren't religious in their hearts, Mm. they just just about accept their fate of being reincarnated Mm. into a lower caste or a lower form becoming an animal so they're just about you know resolve that's well that's what's going to happen to me just like some people today just say oh i'm going to go to hell if i die i've heard many people say it to me oh if heaven and hell is real i'm going to hell they just you know resolve to that which is not a good place to be so a lot of them will really receive the true christianity the true faith that we we know of if we uh, are able to impart it to them in a way that reaches them so Keep that in mind. Let's pray. Mm. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for the words. I pray that I did pull it together enough to make sense of it to a degree, Lord. But we do pray for the people of the Hindu religion, Lord, that are bound up in this confusing, quite abstract religion that, uh, a lot of the, in a lot of ways, will leave them feeling hopeless and, and in a sense, hellbound. But Lord, we pray that you will open their eyes somehow. You will reveal yourself to them as the one and only true God, that you are one of the Trinity, the Trinity of the one only God. And Lord, I pray that you can reveal that to them and give them insight and understanding to be able to uh, believe in in you and and give their hearts to you completely. And so, Lord, with us, these things are impossible, but with you, all things are possible even the reaching of every Hindu in this world. And we pray for them in the name and the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen.